Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today I have a guest on the show and I am speaking to Jack Rose, a 25-year-old gay man who's a trainee therapist in integrative therapy at Bangor University in Wales. He's currently living in Manchester, a city with a large LGBT population. Jack previously graduated with a 2-1 in psychology with counselling and psychotherapy from Manchester Metropolitan University. Jack's undergraduate research was focused on gay men's perception of self, body image, and the influence that porn plays on formation and maintenance of body image among gay men. This was a qualitative study that was analysed during thematic analysis. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Jack today to really gain some understanding and awareness of body image concerns amongst gay men. This is a topic I really don't know much about and I'm really looking forward to learning more and to hear all about Jack's research, story and to delve into this fascinating area. Let's get to the conversation. Hi Jack, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So Jack, can I firstly get you to introduce yourself to the listeners please? Yeah, of course. So my name is Jack Rose. I'm a trainee therapist. I'm studying at Bangor University, but I'm living in the lovely city of Manchester where the weather is absolutely wonderful. (laughs) So I'm (laughs) going to enjoy the sun after this today. Oh, brilliant. They're good to hear. I'm like down in North Essex and it's beautiful here today as well, actually, although it is quite chilly. (laughs) Yeah, it's quite chilly here as well. I don't see any clouds. I'm hoping there's going to be no rain once <laughs> yeah no you do I guess you get quite a lot of rain in Manchester don't you oh it's the city that never stops raining apart <laughs> from today luckily <laughs> sure oh well we've, we've started the podcast in true British style haven't we? We <laughs> that's very very, very very true we have to it's an obligation we have to do it <laughs> Okay, Jack. So, you know, great to have you on the podcast today because, you know, just exploring body image in gay men, you know, something we haven't really talked about on the podcast at all. Mm-hmm. Haven't really, you know, I know it's a sort of topic that isn't really talked about or understood enough in wider culture. So, you know, so great you're here today. So, Jack, I know as well, you're a gay man yourself, you're a trainee counsellor, and you're doing some like fascinating research into body image and the impact on gay men. Can I ask you sort of what led you sort of down this path is sort of into psychology into sort of doing this research? Yeah so okay so I started my interest in psychology really came from working in care I worked in the care sector for a long time with kids and adults with physical mental and learning disabilities and it eventually led me into the field of psychology and I did an undergrad at Manchester Met University in psychology with counselling and psychotherapy and really that's where my basically my basis of psychology came from then when it came to writing a dissertation they stressed to us to make the dissertation interesting but also make it something that you are interested in so naturally I was like well this is a big issue in the gay community There's not a crazy amount of research on it. There's bits and pieces here and there, but nothing really, I want to use the word extravagant. There's nothing really out there that really 
talks about this issue in depth. So my undergrad dissertation was on how gay porn perpetuates negative body image issues in the like gay community with men. So how porn affected how they view themselves and others. It was a qualitative study and I interviewed quite a few gay men talking about their experience of viewing porn and what effect it had on them, mainly in their teens and how it had influenced them later in life. And a lot of it was more or less the same. A lot of gay men have the same experience and it's all boils down to the fact that there's very limited gay education, sex education in the UK. Our sex education curriculum is okay. It gets the basics, you know, wear a condom, practice safe sex, do this and do that. But it's not detailed enough to cater to specific communities. So a lot of it came from that. So people would turn to really the biggest source of education on sex, which is porn, which is okay because my research found that porn can help us with a lot of things that can reaffirm our beliefs or our sexuality or help us explore our sexuality in a way that we wouldn't be able to explore it in like our hometowns, for example. But a lot of the problems came from that it's very artificial, which is the same with most porn. It's very artificial and perpetuates negative representations of body and sex. You know, we get the same body types recycled in most porn, whether it be gay or straight. And when people are constantly exposed to the same thing over and over, they see it as, oh, I have to be like that. I have to look this way to seem attractive. And that's what a lot of my participants said. They said that when I was younger, I was watching this and they all looked the same. And I thought, if I don't look like that, I'm not going to be like worthy. I'm not going to be seen as attractive, which really is the key. That's the key issue. And then that can stick with them for really a lot of the later life. I had a few people, participants that were, I think my oldest participant was in his, I want to say his mid fifties and he was saying like back in the day there was no internet (laughs) and Mm. that it was, it was magazines. And even then it was still this image of like super buff men that were like deemed as attractive. And it's still the same now in gay culture and gay media. It's look at these really nice toned bodies. This is what's desirable. And anything other is not represented or it's not seen as good. The only other representation I can think of is gay men who are cast in roles in media, for example, that are maybe larger than average. They always get cast as like the comical role, like everyone laughs at them, which again, is great that we've got the representation, but again, perpetuates that image of like, if I'm bigger, people are going to laugh at me. So really it's deep. It goes really deep and it really, body image is ingrained in the gay community with gay men. It's in every aspect of, really it's in every aspect of our life and everything we interact with. Mm. And the unrealistic sort of body standard for gay men, like you're sort of talking about like the sort of super buff image. And is that sort of pretty much it, is it? Almost kind of, you know, like, yeah, just very sort of muscular, kind of lean sort of sculpted bodies yeah yeah I mean within the gay community there's something we call tribes and a tribe is basically what a gay man is put they're put into a box and said okay you will you look like this so this is where you're going 
So the super buff guys are all put in one box. That's deemed as like one of the most attractive, like you want to be in this box. And then another box is like the younger looking guys. So me, for example, you've seen what I look like. I look like a 14 year old. <laughs> and I'm put in the box that's like the cuter boys. And that's so they're the two opposites. So you have a super buff and like manly, mm-hmm. or you're a bit more, I want to say feminine. I won't count myself as feminine, but you're a bit more cute and like nice. The boy, like the boy next door, like they're nice. That's mm. another box. So these are really the two similar to the opposite ends, but these are like the two, I would say, categories that people are like, okay, this is I want to be one or the other because that's what's most desirable. And that's what people will be more attracted to me if I look like that. Which obviously is a big overgeneralization. Not everyone feels that, of course. But Unfortunately, for a lot of people, that's how it is, which obviously is, really, it is damaging. You know, as someone in the gay community, I see it all the time, every day in media, in social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. It's all the same body types and all people wishing there was something else and expressing that dissatisfaction with their own body and their own self-worth because I look different than what is shown or what is perceived as better mm. yeah well there must be a like very high level of dissatisfaction because like the super buff image I mean is quite something to achieve isn't it really it's mm-hmm. not really something you can probably achieve maybe without steroids or hours in the gym or you know it taking over your life so mm. there's going to be a lot of people out there that are feeling very very dissatisfied yeah well that's another big issue in the gay community is steroid use because people want that buff body image and they want it quick because they don't want to have to wait for it. They don't not they don't have to put in the work. Some people obviously do put in the work, but some people want that quick fix of how can I get attractive really quick? And it fits in with that steroid juice. And really it fits in with things like if you want to go to the other extreme plastic surgery, again, it's we have the same issues as other people, like straight people, is that we want something, but we want it quick. And we want to be desirable quickly because it makes us feel, it makes people feel good to be perceived as desirable. Mm -hmm. So do you think as well, maybe people sometimes don't even see these things as problematic because we're so inundated with these images, all these different stereotypes. So, you know, if you are a gay man, might it feel even more kind of like just the normal thing to do to take steroids? I mean, I know it's a massive sweeping statement, Mm. but, you know, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, I guess as an outsider looking in, you know, steroid use and not being someone who's massively into the fitness community, you know, steroid use could be seen as quite kind of damaging and dangerous. But I guess if you're kind of in that whole culture and it's just very normal, I'm just wondering as well if people would even question if that's a problem and, you know, it could be quite risky. Yeah, I think it is risky. And I think sometimes... It depends, like you said, it's a sweeping statement. Some people think, oh my God, I'd never do that. But it is normalised and it is a thing that people do just because other gay men do it. And they they look at them and think, oh my God, look at how well it's worked for them. They don't see the issues that it's brought alongside. So like if they're posting on social media, for example, they're super buff and then they meet them and they're like, oh yeah, I use steroids. That person only sees them from the lens of, media or that first meeting they don't see everything that goes along with it so that person's had issues using steroids such as like hormonal imbalances for example mood swings they don't see that because they don't present it 
And that's another thing, like steroid use and drug use is a big, a massive thing in the gay community. Still, people turn to drugs, alcohol, smoking, just because it means they don't have to eat, they lose weight. And it's a big thing. There's a thing in the gay community called circuit parties, which is basically people just take a lot of drugs and have a lot of sex under the influence of many, many, many drugs. It's not as popular as it is anymore. It is in Manchester because Manchester was a big gay scene. I think there was a big scene in Brighton. But yeah, it's very ingrained and it's just normalised, really, which is the dangerous thing. People think in this community it's normal. We just Mm. carry on. That shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't just carry on and ignore it. Mm. And you're talking about perhaps people using substances, you know, to dull their appetite or whatever. So I'm just wondering as well, I'm guessing there's probably quite a high incidence of people struggling with eating disorders, even if they might not name it as an mm-hmm. eating disorder within the gay community. Yeah. yeah, 100% eating disorders. There's loads of research on it in the gay community. It's a huge thing with like, mainly it's under eating, so anorexia, bulimia, very, very common, which are supported again by these like body standards but also that it goes very deep area <laughs> like yeah. the eating disorders is linked to pressure to conform it's linked to body shaming it's linked to social media it's linked to discrimination it's really like there's so many facets of what is happening for people and eating disorders is like you said a big yeah. it really is a big thing especially Mm. among younger gay men who are just coming into the community, not knowing where they fit in maybe or how to manage things. So they turn to eating disorders to fit a particular body type because they themselves have seen in porn, this body type is the most seen, this body type is the most desirable, this is where I want to be. So if they're not there, they want to try and force their way in, which is really damaging. Mm. yeah but it's such a vulnerable time isn't it I'm just sort of thinking anyway just generally for young people growing up going through puberty you know feeling like you just so want to fit in and be accepted and all of that Mm. and you know after the pandemic and all the different stresses we've had recently and you know the sort of lack of control like you're saying as well in the gay community like sort of the discrimination you, you know people in the gay community are experiencing more stresses aren't they more stigma you know Life can be more stressful. Again, I'm generalizing here, but an eating disorder, obviously, as well, it's a part as well as being about the body image, it's a psychological coping strategy, isn't it? And like mm. you're saying, it's like multi-layered, really. So the body image and the kind of deeper coping, it's together, it's not surprising, is it, that so many people no. fall into eating disorders? Yeah, and I think it's because it's very normalized in the gay community to have it. Like if you've had a just eating disorder, it's like your induction. Like every, uh, Mm -hmm. there's so many people that have gone through it, especially, like I said, young teens. And it's Mm -hmm. like what you said about young teens and that, there's so much more stress than there is. Through like social media, it creates this like culture of comparison and self-promotion that really exacerbates like body image concerns in the gay community. Loads of people feel pressured to present this certain image of themselves on social media to attract followers and again, fit into certain crowds, which is incredibly damaging because you're not being who you are. You're trying to be someone else mm-hmm. and hoping that that it, that it works for you. And like social media, I'm not a social media person. I was when I was younger. And that's when I realized this is damaging for me. I was loved Instagram 
but realized as I got older that Instagram is probably, I would say, one of the most damaging platforms for body image because of the comparison with others. Because people on Instagram only post their best pictures, the best parts of their life. They don't post anything negative, obviously, because most people don't. But when you're constantly fed that on social media through Instagram, you're constantly seeing positive things about other people and you think, oh my God, my life's awful. I look mm. awful. Look at me. It's so dangerous for young people now. Like I'm 25. I grew up when social media was just becoming a thing. It was becoming more popular. So I really had like the first hand, the first foot in the door, I was saying, of mm. what it was to be like. And now looking back on it and seeing for what it is now, it can be really damaging. It can be awful. I would really struggle as a young gay boy to really go through it and experience it again without having to compare myself to other people. Yeah, the comparisons are just so relentless and toxic, aren't they? And mm-hmm. I think I'm just really conscious, you know, just of running a group in the NHS at the moment for people with bulimia and a lot of people in that group are sort of between 17 and 25 and the comparisons it's just almost like a just a normal part of daily life just yeah that, absolutely. yeah yeah just that you know like it wasn't well you know obviously I, I'm ancient but you know back in the day but yeah no it's so so toxic but what about as well you know massive question here you know obviously you know these platforms realize how much damage they are doing don't they and mm-hmm. you know they're obviously making a fortune out of it but you know I'm just sort of thinking you know if there was some real intervention on Instagram on TikTok actually that could be such a game changer couldn't it for improving yeah things. yeah I mean there has been I don't know if it was in the States or I think it might have been in the UK it was I don't know it was somewhere that I remember reading it might have been a European law actually that is trying to push for social media platforms to display when an image has been altered so if a filter has been used it will say on the image like if this body has been altered mm. which I think would be great because people would see it and be like oh well they don't look like that and it would encourage people to post more pictures of themselves as they are which would be incredibly beneficial I mean I'm not saying that people don't do that but people have to actively go and look for people like that and that shouldn't always be the case we're not tackling the problem we're just kind of ignoring it and there does need to be a big intervention especially now that TikTok is the next big thing lots of videos on there that I've seen on TikTok of people you know again unrealistic body standards just perpetuating this image and look at how fit and healthy I am. You know, I'm better than everyone else. It's very, this is a very young term, Harry. I don't know if you'll know this one. <laughs> this is <laughs> called, it's called main character energy. So it's when mm. someone believes they are the main character in the world. And it's very much like, I'm better. Look at me. Mm. Which yeah. Is not yeah. It's, it's not great, is it? <laughs> it's not great. It kind of mirrors the whole thing that sort of happens with thinness, doesn't it? You know, I sort of mm-hmm. think about, you know, just how people almost kind of see themselves as like morally superior, like a better yeah. human almost, <laughs> which is just so toxic and effed up basically, isn't it? But 
Yeah. And is that something, sorry, excuse me, having to ask this, but is that something about the kind of like being a like a better human almost? Is, is that like just in the gay community or is that like across social media generally? I would say it's across social media, 100%, 100%. However, it's very, very prominent in the gay community. It's very much, look at me, I'm so much better than you because I'm attractive. Or Mm. I'm like, that. I perceive myself as attractive. Other people perceive me as attractive because I'm what is shown in media as the body that you want. Mm. And then I guess, of course... Go on, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, I guess then everyone just massively likes these images as well and reinforces the whole toxic cycle even more yeah yeah absolutely Mm. yeah comparison is a big thing and the idea that you are someone is better than someone else in the gay community is a big a big thing it's very toxic it's very it can be very toxic obviously the gay community can be lovely it can be incredibly accepting there are parts of it that are amazing but being in it being a part of it you see it for what it is. When you're an outsider, you might think, oh, it's lovely. You know, they're very accepting of these big pride parades. Everyone loves everyone. But then when you're in it, it's scary to see the infighting among people and among communities. It's very, it can be very damaging and it's very unfortunate to see. But again, people don't, don't people don't talk about it. So I feel like I have to at least, talk, we, we have to talk about it. We have to address it. Yeah, and it's so true. So, Jack, have you had your sort of own journey in having to, you know, step away from comparing yourself to others? And, you know, is it something you've had to work on and kind of create your own tools and mindset Mm -hmm. to stay sane? Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, as a young gay man, it was horrible. I was always comparing myself to others because of social media. And it's only as I grew older that I was like, why am I doing this? Why am I comparing myself to other people that have got vastly different lives to me and have been through, I've been through so much other things and you've been through so much other things. We are not the same. We could never be the same. So really pulling myself away from social media and not interacting with it was a big change for me when I was younger, but also like ingrained in like the things that I would do. So my eating habits and my smoking, because I used to be a, when I was younger, I used to be a big smoker. I would work long hours in a care home I would just smoke because it means I wouldn't eat and eventually I developed I wouldn't say it was an eating disorder but I suppose you could class it as an eating I would say it was more of like an eating obsession I had to maintain a certain weight which was five stone two no it wasn't it was eight stone two sorry and in my head I was like, I have to stay this weight because if I get any bigger I won't be attractive people won't be attracted to me and I would see myself and think I'm fat and then as I got older, I was, when I reflect back on it, I think, why did I think that? Where did that come from? Because that didn't come from just me. I didn't wake up one day and think, oh, I have to maintain this weight. But yeah, like it just took me the time to look back on it and think, where is this coming from? And why am I doing this? More importantly, why am I doing this to myself? And who am I doing this for, really? Am I doing it for myself? Or am I trying to fit into a community that, again, can be very toxic? And then when I realised that at like 19, 20, I was like, okay, I'm just going to, everything's going to change. But it can be hard to break out that cycle, especially if it's been reinforced constantly in the community that you're in. You know, I don't drink. I'm not a big drinker. I don't take drugs. 
I don't go out partying. I did when I was younger, but not anymore. And maybe that's where it came from. The perception of others mattered more to me than my own happiness in a way. Mm. Again, which is very common. Of all the people that I interviewed in my undergrads and all the people that I know personally, it's all the same. They're very minor differences, but we're all on the same road and we're all experiencing similar issues. Yeah, it can be awful, but I'm fine now. <laughs> it's not something that bothers me now. It's just something I reflect on all the Sometimes I think, wow, what was I doing back then? Mm. Yeah, but it sounds like you had to kind of go down quite a dark road, didn't you? And then really experience that those negative consequences. And I guess, mm. you know, thankfully, you know, with your sort of insight and awareness and perhaps recognising the costs or, or whatever, you know, I'm sure it's a multitude of things you sort of decided to, you know, start to address what you were doing, think about things differently, step away from social mm-hmm. media, et cetera. But I'm just wondering as well, like, because I'm, I'm so like passionate about trying to, you know, be more involved in prevention and like, you know, in the gay community and wider. But I'm just wondering as well, like, you know, because I sort of think back to, you know, like when you were sort of just embarking down that road and perhaps starting to smoke more and getting fixated on a certain weight, etc. You know, I think it's quite hard, isn't it, as well? When you're a teenager, you know, getting like intervention or help, if you know what I mean. Sometimes mm. you're just not at that. You're not very open or receptive, are you? Because at that stage, understandably, no. you care so much about your peers. You don't want to hear about some ancient teacher or your parents or (laughs) do you and I just wonder you know like it's got to be such a grassroots approach hasn't it almost to just change Mm. how we're being brought up in the first place to really Mm. yeah shift things I mean I don't know do you have any like radical thoughts (laughs) oh if if I could do anything it would be to change all media because Mm. I think teens now consume extreme amounts of media whether it be tv film social porn it's just constantly because our phones now i'm so ancient i promise i'm only 25 but like because <laughs> i do it myself like i consume media at such a rate that is astounding whether it just be reading things i'll be sitting there and the time will fly by and i think what have i done because i've just consumed so much like i've gorged myself on media which isn't great obviously my now like i said earlier my media is diversified a little bit i follow positive creators and creators that not expose the communities but really talk in depth about the issues talk about issues that need to be spoken about whether it's gay issues whether it's issues in other countries whether it's religion whether it's race really it's about diversifying your following and not staying in your bubble Mm. because if your bubble is toxic that's all you're ever going to consume it's just toxic media but radical change 100% change all media (laughs) make media more (laughs) representative and less oh I don't know it would be really hard Mm. it's just the same in a lot like we're talking about therapy I was gonna say we talk about therapy like we can only help people that want to be helped and young people need to look for that help and realize I need help and that I want help because if they're not ready they're mm. not going to engage because I knew when I was younger I wouldn't if I 
didn't want help. I was not. I was like, no, thank you. I don't want to hear about it. I just want to stay in my own bubble. Like, I'm not ready. Because it's scary. Like, if you've been in your own bubble for so long, you don't want to leave it. Because it provides, sometimes it provides comfort. So leaving that bubble is the scariest part is changing everything that you know. Stopping speaking to friends that were toxic or leaving communities and changing things is the scariest part. Mm. Yeah, and it's really scary, isn't it? Because like you're saying in a way, I guess it offers a lot of safety, doesn't it? It's kind of known, mm-hmm. it has to become part of your identity. Yeah, it can be very scary leaving that bubble. And I think, yeah, you have to be ready, don't you? Like, there's no point. I sometimes think as well, if you're trying to force change earlier on, you're going to, like, devalue that therapy or help that could be accessed later in a way when someone mm. is more in an accessible place. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of resistance. I know as a teen, what, nine years ago now? I was resistant to anyone telling me <laughs> whatever every teen is. It's just a common thing, isn't it? Yeah. If you're a teenager, you're being told, do this. You're not going to do it. You can do the opposite. I know because I did it Yeah, as a gay teen. I was like, I'm going to do this because I know best for myself. <laughs> when <laughs> I did a bit, but not really. I think, yeah, it's just... If we're going back to radical change, just media, just like young people, just diversify your media a little bit. Look mm-hmm. for positive creators. Look for creators that interest you or that talk to people that are not the people you would usually associate with. And I think that's a key thing. Associate people with people that you wouldn't usually talk to. Mm-hmm. Just because whether you perceive them as less than you or more than you, we're all just in the same community as gay men, just go and talk to them. Like, if you're rejected, then it is what it is. You don't take it personally. It's not always a you problem. And I think that's a big thing in the gay community that I've seen a lot on Reddit, because there's a lot of forums on Reddit. One of them is Ask Gay Bros, where people ask questions to other gay men and get their consensus on things. And sometimes it can be incredibly lovely. The comments on there, the suggestions are great. Then other times I'm like, you people are crazy. You can't tell this person what to do in this situation because it's so personal. But then there's other pages on Reddit, for example, where people will post pictures of themselves. Not nice pictures, not naughty ones. Some of them could be naughty, but again, it's just like the same images over and over and over again. And it's like, where's the, where are the normal people? And I say that with like hyphens. Where are the normal people? Mm. Like, why do you all look the same? And again, it's just relating back to if people think they look good and people perceive them as attractive, they're going to post themselves. They're going to be like, look at me. And people that don't see that are not going to post themselves because they're not going to get as many likes or as many comments or as many positive reactions. It just, it doesn't happen. Mm. So, Jack, can you recommend any sort of positive creators for people to look up, maybe, if anyone's listening and thinking, actually, Ooh. I would like to dip my toe a bit into this? I wish you had told me that you were going to say that, because now I need to think off the top of my head. Well, don't worry. You can, you can always let me know, and I can put it in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I know one of them is, there's a guy on, on TikTok, that I think he's called the Gay Scientist. He does gay science, where people ask him questions, and then he explains things. 
from like a biology perspective of like why gay men do things or why we perceive it. Another one is, oh, she's a psychologist more than anything. I think she's a clinical psychologist in America called Dr. I'm trying to find out. Dr. Ina, I-N-N-A. She is a psychology professor and researcher. She's a Jewish atheist, ex-Soviet refugee is what she puts on her account. And she really goes into detail about not only gay issues, but really just a lot of issues, really, relating to body image or general psychology. That's really informative, you know, because there's a lot of, there's a big thing on TikTok now about self-diagnosing and people presenting themselves like, oh, you know, I have autism because I have these traits or... And she's very much like, she'll watch the video and she'll be like, that's not autism, that's just normal. Very great, she's amazing. But if I think of any, if I find any more today, I will email you and we can get them out there because they are out there. They're out there somewhere. Mm. And yeah, it's just about finding the diamond in the rough. Yeah, and it's sure. Well, I'm definitely going to go and follow Dr... Inner, is that how you say her? Yeah, her uh, inner, Dr. Inner. Yeah, because I, I guess it's probably even once you start following and, you know, it opens up more accounts, doesn't it? And you start to yeah, get yeah. more of that on your feed and all the rest of it, which is, yeah. yeah that's how the algorithm works. The more you interact yeah. with things or watch things on TikTok, the more that you'll get recommended. So if you're watching things and liking things, commenting on things that you want to get into, you'll see more of it. It's very. It's a very smart algorithm. It's very sneaky. Mm, yeah, no, it is. And it, it can work kind of either way, can't it? If you're like down the rabbit hole of super buff, <laughs> that's not so great. But if you're down the rabbit hole of more diversity, mm. that can be in your favour. So, Jack, can I just ask you as well a bit about your master's research? And you are, from what I understand, you're looking at LGBT perceptions of yeah. your therapist. Yeah, so can you tell us a bit yes. more about that? So I'm doing my master's dissertation with a friend called Aisha Albadir. She's from Kuwait and she's studying in Bangal with me at the minute. Lovely, love it a bit. Glad she's doing the research with me. And we're doing it on LGBT clients' perspectives of their therapist and if they oh, I'm trying to think of how to word this I worded it pretty well when I wrote it we're basically researching if LGBT clients if they perceive their therapist as gay or LGBT in whatever sense do they perceive them as more credible and more knowledgeable to manage their issues or whether they be gay specific or psychology related and it came from the basis of some other research that I did on my master's where I wrote it on it was a literature review on gay men's experience in therapy and a lot of the research highlighted that gay men perceive their therapist as more empathetic warm able to manage their issues if they share a sexuality now, there is other research out there that says, you know, this isn't always the case. Women are just as good, which is a big thing. Women are perceived by gay men specifically to be as warm and receptive as another gay man. But the issue comes from when they perceive them as straight, when it's a straight man, or they, not disclosed, but perceived, or sometimes disclosed, if they are straight, they think this straight man is not going to know anything about 
you know, LGBT issues, they're not going to be able to discuss things with me or they're going to be dismissive. Some of them are dismissive. They don't want to, they don't have knowledge on it. They don't want to discuss it, um, which can be dangerous. So really we're doing a, a systematic literature review for the dissertation because we really want to get to the bottom of it and see, is it true and why? Why is our perception an indicator of someone else's effectiveness, basically? Because the perception obviously can just be from like, which relates to what we're talking about, body image, how we see them, how gay men see another man. They can say, okay, he's more than likely gay because he's, I don't know, well-dressed or I don't know, he's well-shaved or he just looks gay. He has gay face, which is another term in the gig when he has gay face, where they just look gay. So why is that perception more important than the therapist's knowledge and why do you perceive them as more i mean obviously you do they will perceive them as more credible because their experience in the gay community they share the similarities whether their experience was vastly different isn't always an indicator of more or less knowledge yeah it's going to be interesting because we're going over so much research qualitative and quantitative to really get to the bottom of it which i'm really excited to write i can't wait to write it Oh, and that sounds fascinating. And I'm just thinking as well about the sort of, you know, just sort of thinking in therapy generally, you know, we all bring our sort of transference, counter-transference, mm-hmm. don't we, into the therapy room. And I'm just thinking, I'm sure how you perceive your therapist, male or female, is going to be influenced as well by like maybe how your dad responded to you exactly yeah. all of that as well isn't it it's, it's, it's interesting or not just your dad but other male authority figures maybe or you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're right 100 some of the research is right when it says that straight men not uh, i wouldn't say are worse counselors but they may lack the deeper understanding but that relates to something in my undergrad research was that there's not a lot of training on like gay issues or lgbt issues shall i say so that's something that needs to change. We need a lot more diversity training. And the perceived commonality just comes from we're in the same community, you get me. Whereas if mm. I see, if I go to a straight man, he's not going to get it because straight people always, they're the other, they're the outsider, they're the ones looking in and they see as, I don't know, flamboyant or hypersexualized, which is another big issue in the gay community, hypersexualization or like sexual object. Oh, I'm trying to get the word. I can't think of how to say the word. Objectification. There we go. Yeah, it's so many layers. And I've had a woman as a therapist. I had a straight man who I didn't see for gay-specific issues, but was amazing, loved him. That was when I was 18, 19. And then I recently had a woman therapist who possibly was my subconscious, being like, you need to see a woman or like you need to see a gay man. I didn't even realise until I started doing this dissertation that I was like, oh, I chose a woman for to do my therapy this time. Why is that? Is it because I perceived her as more welcoming? Do I just prefer women therapists? Personally, I prefer, I think I do prefer women therapists. I don't know why. It's probably a subconscious thing that I need to reflect on. But then say that my supervisor is, I believe he's either, sh- I think he's straight, or he's bisexual. I can't remember. I think he's... I don't know if we've reached that topic. 
maybe I need to breach it with him and then so I can have some more reflection <laughs> on it. But I did half of my therapy with her. And now, because I identified it, and she stopped doing therapy because she got a new job. Anyway, I'm actually going to actively try and find a straight therapist, a straight man, if possible, so I can see if what I'm writing my dissertation on Mm. isn't true and what will be my experience of it. Obviously, because I'm a trainee therapist, when I'm qualified, I want to know what it's like to be that client for this specific, if they bring us an issue like mine, if they go to see a gay therapist, they're going to perceive me as more credible. Or why if they, if they don't see a straight therapist, is it because they're less credible? Yeah, so it's really interesting. I can't wait to write it. Yeah, no, it sounds fascinating. Well, you have to come back on the podcast when you've got some yeah, oh, Absolutely, results. I'd be more than happy to, more than happy to. <laughs> So, Jack, where can people find you, you know, if they want to perhaps get in touch, ask you a question, find out more about your research or anything? Are you sort of available to the masses? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm on, like I said, I don't use social media. <laughs> so, yeah, very rarely use it. I'm on Facebook, just my first name and my last name, Jack Bruce. There's a picture of there. I mean, my graduation gown with my boyfriend. I'm also on Twitter at it's jack rose so it's then my first name my last name i don't use instagram yeah tiktok i think i don't post anything on tiktok but i can direct you to other places which is jack of all trades 911 i don't know why it's 911 at the end i think someone else already had jack of all trades and it just gave me a number so yeah that's how you can find me or just I don't know, maybe just get in contact with you, Harriet, and they can, mm. can pass them on to me. You know, I'm always happy to speak to people. I love a good discussion, hence why I'm here. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, I just really want to thank you, Jack, so much for coming on the podcast today. It's just been, you know, fascinating just to hear more about this area that's just not talked about. And, you know, I just think, you know, hats off to you for the work you're doing and just for your openness and willingness to speak and, you know, just spreading the word and the education. I think so much Mm -hmm. needed. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Harriet, for having me. It's been great to talk about it. And I really hope that someone listens to this and is like, hmm, this is helpful. That'll, even though it's just one person, that's more than enough for me. And yeah, I'd love to come back anytime because there's so much more that we could discuss about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely welcome back. So yeah, you know, we'll have you back in a few months. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Jack's info in the show notes. Not following me already? Do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore and for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm-hmm.